0: Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and welcome to Cracking Addiction. And we have with us Dr. Laura Petracek. Uh Hello, Laura. I thought we'd start today by thinking about the fourth step in the 12-step program. So can you tell us what is in the fourth step?
1: The fourth step states we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves.
0: Why do we have to do this?
1: It's important because... For most people who have alcohol or substance use disorders, they've left a lot of wreckage in their life behind, whether it's their family or jobs or different parts of their community or even themselves. And so the fourth step is a way to do an inventory, look at you know the wreckage of our past, as they call it, and get a clearer picture of the consequences of our alcohol and drug addiction. Because most people, most addicts and alcoholics, minimize the destruction and the consequences of their alcohol and drug addiction. And a lot of times I hear, well, I only hurt myself. Well, you know, most people do not live in a vacuum. So let's look Mm. at other areas of your life.
0: So that's broadly speaking what it is why should we do the inventory? I mean, what, what's the point of it all?
1: Well, the main reason to do it is there's a sense of relief.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I know when I did my first inventory, I just felt this huge weight off me and for a lot of people, they experience a similar feeling of a weight off of them or a sense of relief. Um, and kind of a relaxed feeling like they're not holding all this stuff anymore, all this negativity.
0: And then this of course then leads into the fifth step, which is, you know, uh, the confession to, to your sponsor. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah, so it leads into the fifth step, admitted to ourselves, yeah. the exact nature of our wrongs and another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs.
0: Yeah so there is a journey here but i have to say when i contemplate the fourth step i think that is the most scary thing that a human being can do is, is to actually have a as the words say a searching and fearless moral inventory having almost having your internal judge take control of your past and actually mark off on a clipboard that was good that was bad that was really bad that was all right but oh what you did then oh that was terrible it's almost like watching a cinema show of of your worst excesses it's i can't imagine anything more frightening for someone when they're in this journey of recovery
1: well it's frightening in a sense but it's also i mean when we go you know into the next step the fifth step It's also very uh, comforting because usually your sponsor will tell you, oh, I did X, Y, Z 10 times worse. And then you say, oh, wow, I'm not the only person who messed up. Um, So that helps, too, to hear from someone else their feelings or their mistakes. Uh, And while you're doing your fourth step, you can have your sponsor or someone in the program you know, you, some people do uh, form what they call four step groups. So you're not alone and you don't feel like a piece of shit when you're doing
0: it. You're like, Oh, wow. Someone
1: else did the same thing. Um, So it helps relieve some of that self-loathing.
0: Yes, exactly. Yes. That's the self-loathing that, uh, and of course, you know, when you have to, when you think about why people enter into a journey into substance use disorders, self-loathing is a driver and so you now wake up sober and then you got to go back to the self-loathing it's 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 such a challenging step and for people who do it i think it's it's a very brave thing that they do
1: yes i i think it is a brave thing and i think it also helps to continue uh one's sobriety. I've heard yeah. people in the rooms and also clients say they would, you know, come up against a wall with the four step. They didn't do it for several years and then they went out and relapsed. Yeah. Uh, so it's another reason to do it, to keep moving forward.
0: Yeah. Uh, because, and for me, sorry, go on.
1: Oh, it's okay. Because, you know, being aware of our uh, defects of character or our past you know over and over, but not dealing with it, that's going to be fuel to go back out and relapse
0: and so that's why the word fearless is in that fourth step, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You do need to be absolutely fearless, and you don't and but the reassuring thing is you don't have to do it on your own,
1: right, and I don't think people necessarily start by being fearless. I think most people, I mean, I was really afraid. I, a lot of people are deathly afraid to look at yeah. themselves. Who wants to look at yourself? Uh, you know, it's it's very scary. So yeah. I think the fearless, Well, I would say the first part is willingness. Just the willingness to do it is a huge step. And then yeah. the fearless comes down the line. But I think most people, if truth be told, they would say they were very afraid. They were full of fear.
0: Yeah. 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 And if we look at the, the the kind of categories of life that you can put in, or that you can think about when you're writing this moral inventory, I mean, we've got things like relationships, resentments, fears, moral values. Let's let's go through those. I mean, resentments, I think, is an important one because I've I've heard you say elsewhere that resentments fuel addiction.
1: Yes. Resentments are the number one offender and the number one reason that people go back out and relapse. Yeah. Resentments, you know, the Latin word is re we play, you know, it goes over and over again in our head and yeah. uh, pretty soon the person just says F it and goes back out and drinks. They're done. You know, they're just yeah. full of resentment. They're wreaking both of alcohol and of resentments. A lot yeah, of times when I work with someone who's coming off a bender, they'll say, Oh, Dr. P, I'm so pissed at this person, blah, blah, blah. And, and then they're also full of alcohol too. So the two resentments and uh, detoxing from alcohol seem to go together.
0: Tell us about moral values and how they fit into an inventory.
1: So more in moral values or with moral values, we look at the person writes down their moral values and unfortunately, most of the time, under the uh, action of drinking or their act of addiction, they go against the moral values. So, for example, uh, a lot of times stealing, especially for addicts, that's a huge one, going against um, the value of being honest. You know, alcoholics lie. All the time, and so do addicts to protect their addiction or their drinking. And yeah. so, if honesty is one of their moral values, which for most people they are, it is, then that's mm-hmm. one thing they first have to look at. Um, yeah. Another yeah. value could be um, fidelity, another value could be, um, you know, being giving, and most addicts are about taking and uh so unfortunately with most values or moral values addicts and alcoholics tend to do the opposite that's where addiction yeah. their addiction has taken them
0: so it's a reacquaintance with one's anchors in life and really you know the addiction's taking you away from the anchor and your recovery is a journey towards your, your your anchor towards your moral values
1: Right. Your addiction does, you know, your morals are your mooring and, yeah. uh, your morals addiction your take, mooring.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Addiction does take us away and alcoholism yeah. from our mooring and recovery yeah. helps bring us back.
0: And fear. Let's talk about fear. How does fear drive addictive behaviors?
1: Well, it depends on what the addictive behavior is but let's say someone is afraid of being caught. They stole something um, or they Mm. wrote a bad check. I don't know, they don't use checks much these days, But, um, but then they'll make it worse by, if they get a letter in the mail or they get confronted, they deny it and then they maybe end up in court and deny it. And pretty soon the truth is out, but now there's a lot more consequences because they didn't own up to it in the first place. Or let's say with a family member, they lied about stealing their credit cards and then they spend twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 on their credit cards. And then mm-hmm. they're still confronted and still denying. And then by the time the truth comes out, the family really doesn't want to have anything to do with them and yeah. who could blame them.
0: And that then brings us to the issue of relationships, isn't it, So I mean, in you know, a part of the moral inventory is to think about one's relationships and they can be healing, but they can also matter that the lack of relationships really is one of the symptoms of substance use disorder.
1: Well, lack of relationships. Yes. But I have found more people I work with, they're still have connections or they're still in relationship with family or friends. Um, but the issue, the problem is more, the family or friends or husband, wife, partner, uh, they don't trust them and they could be clean yeah. and sober six months, a year, two years. And like, Dr. P, I don't care how, you know, I don't trust him. I don't trust her. She's just going to go back. And so that yeah. trust takes a long time for the family and friends to rebuild because usually it's not the person's, you know, first rodeo going into treatment or getting clean and sober. And so there's a lot of lack of trust on the codependent side.
0: And to actually have to go through all of this to go and think about how you how you as a human being have got these resentments, fears, values that you've failed relationships that you've let down. And to think about this fearlessly and, and searching is such a challenge. And, you know, do you write it on a piece of paper? Do you, do you make a movie of it? Uh, what, what, what's, how do you actually do this?
1: I was in college at the time, my first four step. And so I did it like a term paper. I had yeah. a huge blank notebook and I just wrote and, wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And I had like probably 50 pages and my sponsor was like, oh my God, but you don't need a dissertation. the four step but I did I I just wrote and wrote until I got it all out you know Mm. and there are some people who have turned their four steps into a movie or a play or a song I actually used to bring in my guitar and sing this step now that I remember it um yeah I used to sing about this step and uh so you know it's it's very involved it takes a lot of time if someone's doing it right um how I long think does I, it take well it took me weeks but you know i'm a perfectionist and i have to get an a plus and everything so
0: i was uh, that part of your moral inventory <laughs> that you're well, a perfectionist that's,
1: <laughs> that's how at the time i approach things uh you know sometimes in my favor sometimes to my detriment but to do a really thorough job
0: um yeah, yeah. right and so you actually go through this moral inventory with another human being, another sp- with your sponsor, is that right? And do they kind of, do you give them a line and then they say, oh, look, well, it's not that bad? Or, or you know, t- talk me through the process.
1: Well, you usually read through it. And then if there's certain parts where a lot of emotion comes up, or the sponsor can relate to what you're saying, then they'll usually say, can we stop here for a moment? Or, you know, I notice a lot of feelings are coming up and sometimes it's done over several sessions. You know, like I, as a therapist, have actually uh, sat with a client doing their fourth step because they didn't have a sponsor or someone else they didn't want to do it with. And Yeah. um, yeah, so it takes several hours usually. And the person you choose, someone who you trust,
0: which then, I, I, you know, we've done, uh, we've, we've talked about the first three steps and we haven't really explored the role of the sponsor, but this is absolutely crucial in this step, isn't it? You cannot really do this step without a sponsor.
1: Yeah, you cannot do this step without a sponsor. Right. I think it would be it would be just like banging yourself over the head, yeah, looking yeah. at all your faults
0: yeah.
1: and failings and you, it would... Uh, not be helpful at all.
0: Yeah. So really, this is, I think, this is one of the steps that really does delineate those who are spectators to those who are actually uh, performers within the 12-step program.
1: I wouldn't necessarily say spectators. I would say uh, this step separates those who are really committed, who are committed to their recovery.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and those who are
1: window shopping.
0: Window shopping, yes, that's a good way. I mean, I, I yeah, and it would. I can imagine how it would take a number of conversations with a sponsor, and I would imagine that it would take you know the sponsor gently probing. You know, have you thought about doing this? What do you? Shall we sit down together and have a think about it? Or or or, or is it that you just suddenly do this step and then say, "Da da!" to your sponsor?
1: No, you usually what they recommend it's not in the literature but what they recommend is you tell your when you're ready to do your fourth step you tell your sponsor okay let's say today's october 12th or the 13th i guess where you are i'm ready to do i'll have it done by november 4th it's like an right. assignment if there's a yeah. deadline you're more likely to do it if people yeah. don't make a deadline for this it just drags on for months and it's not healthy right. so right. the first thing is to make an appointment with your sponsor. And then right. you kind of move backwards into working through all the different parts right. of the fourth step. Yeah. Right.
0: And is it a one-time thing? I mean, do you do it once and forget it or is it worthwhile to kind of reappraise how you're going and do the fourth step again and maybe again?
1: Yes. It's worthwhile to do it again. I think most yeah. people in long-term recovery, I've probably done, you know, 15, 24 steps because once you're sober and then it's not as uh intensive or involved because the first fourth step has to do with your drinking and drug pass but then even when you're sober you still screw up and so you look at (laughs) you know we're human beings after all and it, it just helps us uh give us some relief like, oh, yeah, I'm a human being and I messed up in this job or this relationship or whatever the situation was. Yeah. And so the four step, like you could say, I'm really struggling with my boss. And a lot of times sponsors will say, let's do a four step on that. Or I'm right. really struggling, you know, I'm arguing with my sw- spouse all the time. I don't know how to handle it. Well, let's do a four step on that. So sometimes it's a specific topic that you do a four step on after you do the initial four step or it's just another like a mini house cleaning but hmm. you know you don't graduate from the program so you just go around again and do the steps again
0: yeah yeah so it's a really a it's it's one of the think of it i think sometimes of the 12 steps is the 12 companions on your ongoing journey it's not a it's not necessarily a milestone that you pass once for the, and never never go back to.
1: Yes. It, you don't graduate and you just keep going over it. Yeah.
0: And really, what I'm also hearing from you, actually, is that as painful and as challenging as the fourth step might be, there is a catharsis. There is a healing that occurs as a result of it. There's hope.
1: Yes, that's a good word for it. There is a catharsis in healing, but hope is a pivotal word here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it yeah. opens you up to the fifth step, which we'll talk about in the next episode. So, Laura, we've run out of time, but I want to thank you for your wisdom and expertise, and I look forward to chatting with you again very soon. Thank you. So that's all for today, folks. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and this has been Cracking Addiction.